Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. Well, we're continuing a series that we've been doing uh, for a few weeks now called When Things Go Wrong. And, uh, and we're continuing to look at that idea from the book of 1 Samuel. It kind of, I love the Old Testament because there are stories in there that help us relate to things. They're there for a purpose. It's not just to tell a story, but they're there to open us up to things that God really wants us to understand. And so we use the New Testament to interpret the things and to use those stories of the Old Testament to really understand the, the point behind them is what I'm getting at. So today we're going to read a story about a, a group of people that lived in a town called Beth Shemesh. And um, they were initially happy, uh, but then, then they forgot, and this is the title of our message today, that we forget that God is holy. We forget God is holy, or when we forget God is holy, is that when things go wrong is because we forgot God was holy. And so in their case, they forgot God was holy, and the consequences were fatal for some of them. So let's pick up our story today. If you've got your Bibles, open them to 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 13. The, uh, we, we're picking up the story of when the ark was carried off into captivity. That was a bad thing. And then the Philistines had it for a long time, and it was a ruin for them. They ended up with tumors or hemorrhoids. We're not sure. I'm not joking. That really is probably what the, what the word means. But, uh, and, and they had an infestation of rats, and so there was a lot of bad stuff happening. So they decided to send the ark back on a cart. Uh, with, with some cows, and they do that, and it ends up in this town called Beth Shemesh, and that's where we're picking up our story. So uh, 6.13 for Samuel. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting their wheat in the valley, and they looked up and saw the ark, and they rejoiced at the sight. The cart came to the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh, and it stopped beside a large rock. The people chopped up the wood of the cart and sacrificed the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. Just skip now to verse 18. The large rock on which the Levites set the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. Verse 19, we're going to turn a corner now. We're, we're in a, a state of rejoicing and good times. They're happy. We got the ark back. And then all of a sudden, the other shoe falls, so to speak. And uh, here it is. But God struck down some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 to them of, to death because they looked into the ark of the Lord. The people mourned because of the heavy blow the Lord had dealt them. And the people of Beth Shemesh asked, and this is a very important question and really the, the impetus behind this message today, who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? To whom will the ark go up from here? In other words, we want to get rid of the ark. <laughs> we, you know, they're having different kind of problems that they, than the Philistines have, but they're still having problems, and they're realizing we don't want the ark around us. But today, again, I want to talk to you about the, when the thing that has gone wrong is that we forget that God is a holy God. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for uh, just these stories that are there that, that we can kind of wrap our minds around. But, Lord, we, we want to hear this today, but also turn it into truth that is meaningful in our day-to-day -day life. And so please, Lord, uh, speak to each of us. God, I know it's not always the words that come out of my mouth, but things that you are doing on the side, really, Lord, by the Holy Spirit or in the heart of each person that really make a lifelong differences in us. So that's what I'm asking for today. Moved by your spirit, we pray among us in Jesus' name. Amen? 
Amen. Well, I know uh, for some of you that have been here a while, you've heard uh, this story before I'm about to tell, uh, but it's so fun to repeat. It's just a fun story to repeat, but, uh, but I'm going someplace with it. So back in 2005, we had uh, visited Colorado Springs, and Andrew got a new car, and, uh, but it was, I think, the year before you got the car. That's right. Anyway, I may be having that off. It doesn't really matter, but we, we went to the Colorado Springs, and uh, there was a couple there that had a dog that was really a nice dog, and it was just very loving. And so um, the breed of the dog was a, was a Shih Tzu, and so the daughter of that family also had a Shih Tzu. And she said, uh, and this should have been a warning, and by the way, if you ever hear someone say this to you, just, just put up a red flag. But she says, so uh, I have one that I'll give you. <laughs> that should be, you know, somebody wants to give you a dog, just like, no, no, no. And uh, so she, sure enough, we go over, you know, and we get, and the dog seems like, well, it's, it's a little bit younger and it's a little more feisty, but yeah, so we take this dog with us and, and then we, um, we uh, and she gave us all the stuff that belonged with the dog. Well, one of the things she gave us was a bark collar for the dog, and that should have also been a warning sign, but, so we bring the dog home. What? Somebody upset? No, okay. Uh, so we get, we get, but we miss that sign, you know, that somebody's giving us free stuff, including a bark dollar. Anyway, we get a collar, and we get home, and the, and the dog's barking at night, and it goes outside in the yard, and it's barking at the fence, and, and it's just too much barking going on. And, and so, um, so then uh, I decided that the bark collar needed new batteries, I, I assumed, because I just, you know, I just didn't know, but I got a new batteries for it, and just to make sure it was ready to go. And so um, I'm thinking, I wonder how you know this thing's working, Right. How, how do you know? And immediately an idea comes to my mind, which, you know, uh, I wouldn't call on Andrew. He's too sensible. And Abraham was too young at the time. But Alex, if you know my son, Alex, he, he's the perfect choice for this. And I said, Alex, come here. And he says, what? What? He comes 15 years old. I said, come here. I said, will you test this and make sure it works as bark collar? And he looks at me. He goes, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> It's just that kind of a guy. You just do anything. So I said, okay, okay. And so I, I said, hold it up to your neck and bark. And so he goes, he holds it up and he goes, oh, and, and nothing. And I go, no, 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 you got to bark louder. You got to bark really loud. And he goes, oh, and then he goes, ah, ah, ah. And he's dancing around the kitchen for about three minutes, just holding his neck and, and looking at me like I abused him or something. It was so hilarious. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, I guess it works. Anyway, now, now, some might be thinking, I've got to be really careful what I'm about to say here, but some may be thinking this is an inhumane thing to do to a dog, let alone my own son. <laughs> and so, I don't, I don't want to offend anybody, but I really want to share a little truth in this moment. I do. I mean this. I, I'm not at all for abusing animals. Please don't misunderstand. And God even says in His Word that if people take the life of an animal uh, unjustly or for no reason, they just think that's a great thing to do, and they waste that, that, that they'll be accountable for the blood they shed of that animal, okay? However, I, I just want to say that in our culture, especially I think in America today, that there has been an elevation of the status of animals to an unnatural place that we need to be careful about. This is important truth to hear right now for a moment. Because, because you cannot, do, do, does anybody think you could properly train a horse by saying, just take a time out over there, go over there and you're going to have a time out right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, you've got to train that horse to be the best it can be and do what you need it to do. There's going to have to be some discipline. There's going to have to be some things. P ways you would treat a horse or a dog or an animal that you wouldn't treat another human. 
And that's why I don't believe we should use the word humane to describe the treatment of animals. Again, I'm not saying abuse animals at all. Please don't misunderstand me. I don't do that. I don't recommend it. I don't think it's the right thing to do. But we cannot fall prey to the system of the world that elevates the position of animals to the same as that of human beings. God created us differently and special, and he gave us dominion over the earth to subdue the animals, and you cannot do that without treating them like an animal. Okay, now if you hate bark collars and you think I'm a bad person, I apologize, but here's the good news. Lily uh, got shocked a few times And from then on, all I had to do when she started barking was go to the cabinet, pull it out, and show it to her. And she would just go, no, I'm done. And she would stop barking. So it didn't take long until she figured it out. And uh, and so that's a good thing. So anyway, the shock collar worked, and it didn't take very long for it to happen, and we never had to use it again, which was great. So about a year ago, I was reflecting on that whole incident, the whole idea of it. And I thought to myself, I thought, and this kind of thought went through my head, you know what would be great? That would be so great if we could invent a sin collar. Are you tracking me? Like if you got ready to do something really stupid or sin in some way that you got zapped or you got, you know, you know something that would grab your attention. And I started thinking about that. And I was, I was trying to think what that would be like or how that would ever work, you know. And uh, anyway, I was just a few weeks ago, I was reading uh, something on a news thing. And I saw, I saw an, uh, I don't know if it was an ad, or, but it was a story about, they've invented it. <laughs> this is amazing. Look at this. I'll show you a picture of this thing here. It's, uh, uh, and they invented this thing. It's, it's a, uh, let me read the, I'm going to read the article, the text article about it. It's similar to a shock collar for your disobedient pup. The updated Pavlok, which is like Pavlov, if you're familiar with a little psychology, okay, Pavlok bracelet it, uh, will give the wearer a 350-volt jolt every time they cross a line. Looking to quit smoking, reduce cookie intake, or stop hitting the snooze button, engineers at Behavioral Technology in Salt Lake, Utah, uh, hope their wristband will help you kick the habit. The bossy bracelet, $200 on Amazon, delivers a zap at your command. Punish yourself enough, <laughs> and you'll, you'll feel your urges subside within three to five days, according to the manufacturer. This is where it gets really interesting. Though the device can be uh, programmed to shock automatically for some of your bad behaviors, such as sleeping in, those who can't be trusted to discipline themselves can recruit a friend or family member, and they can pitch in by downloading the app and giving you a shock on their behalf, on your behalf. So, wow, come on. I mean, the, the ideas are just endless, aren't they? Just the possibilities. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> All that to say, (laughs) all that to say, the truth is that even as believers, we sin, don't we? That's true. And as Paul said in Romans 7, 19, and this is the the problem, if you will, for everybody who knows the Lord. He says, I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Right? That explains it pretty clearly. Like we're in this conundrum, we're stuck. And so... I want to suggest to you today that one of, the, one of the main reasons that we sin is we forget that God is a holy God. We think kind of lightly of God. This is what happened with the people of Beth Shemesh. They thought lightly of God. They, they forgot. They, they should have known from the, if, their, if their leaders had been preaching the word, so to speak, like I'm preaching to you today, if the leaders had been teaching them, but they forgot to teach the next generation that there's a certain way that you treat the Ark of the Covenant, and looking in it wasn't one of the things. In fact, you shouldn't really, it should only be the priests and all that. And so they took, took lightly 
the, the holiness of God, if you will. And they forgot that God has an expectation of obedience to His Word. They forgot that God is a holy God. And, and so as they're mourning and they're digging graves for 70 of their friends and relatives, they, they ask a question. It's a rhetorical question. They're saying, who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? Who can stand in His presence? And they believe the answer to that question is, obviously their rhetorical answer would be, no one can stand in His presence. That's their answer. And that's, this is thematic, really, to Old Testament thinking, if you will. The hundreds of years later, the Israelites are beginning to come back into the land, into Jerusalem, after being in captivity for hundreds of years, or excuse me, for quite a long time, uh, 70 years at least, and some, some longer. But they come back to Jerusalem, and, uh, and then Ezra, the priest, is, is praying, and he says these words uh, in Ezra 9.15, Lord, the God of Israel, you are righteous. We are left this day as a remnant. Here we are before you in our guilt, though because of it, not one of us can stand in your presence. So we see this theme making its way through the Old Testament. And if this is where the story ended, we would be in a place of utter hopelessness, honestly, as human beings. If, if, it, was up to, you know, if it was up to our ability to keep the law or to keep okay with God in our own righteousness, we would have no hope. But the story is still unfolding, and even for the people of Israel back in those days, and now uh, you can look at it in your Bible, but it'll be on the screen, and the, picking it up in chapter 7, in the middle of verse 2, it says, Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord, predicated by the death of 70 people. You, you see what I'm saying here? There's 70 people that just died. And now they all turn back to the Lord. And then in verse 3, so Samuel said to, the, uh, to all the Israelites, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourself of the foreign gods and the asterisks and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve Him only, and He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away the Baals and the asterisks and served the Lord only. You see what happened here? The, the shock collar of the death of the 70 people in their community who didn't regard God as holy, went throughout the whole nation. It reverberated through the whole nation. And now, as a nation, they're all turning back to the Lord. These things can happen from time to time. And, and Samuel's saying, like, if you're serious about this, guys, you've got to get rid of the things that are separating you from God. For them, it was worshiping idols, or more clearly putting their trust in things other than God, and the reason I say it that way, because when we think of idols, we think, well, I don't bow down to wooden things or images or, or things. But we, we make idols out of all kinds of things, folks. We've got to realize we do that. You know, we watch, you know, and we, we, we understand, but we watch a show sometimes. We used to, maybe, if you still do, it's on, I guess, but American Idol, right? And, and you, you go, oh, I don't take that too seriously. But the fact of the matter is we idolize people in the entertainment industry don't we or in the sports community and industry or or we we make idols out of all kinds of things we wouldn't we wouldn't literally bow down to it but we put our trust in other things we put our trust listen uh, if you're younger you may not remember all of this but but if you're my age you've been through probably at least three recessions in america at this point that i've seen in my lifetime not counting going way back into the 20s when the Great Recession hit, but there was a pretty bad time that hit in the 70s when we had gas lines and prices were going up and things were crazy. And, uh, 
And then there was a, the 2001 uh, dot-com crash, right? That was pretty bad. And then the housing market thing that went crazy in 2008. And you, you kind of, so if you've experienced some of those as an adult, you know that while wow, putting your hope in the, thing, in the American economy or the dollar or your own ability to produce wealth, all of a sudden you start to, whoa, what's going on here, right? So you've, maybe you've been through those things. But if you haven't, let me tell you, don't put your trust in the American economy and the dollar bill. Like you're, you, because we start to idolize that. We think, I'll always be able to produce this. Listen, put your trust in the Lord. He'll see you through, whatever. You now, it's nice if you're making good money. I heard from Kevin, he just got two raises in the last two months, right? I love that, right? <laughs> that is so great. It's two significant raises. His boss, he went in kind of to work for a new company that absorbed a company he was in. His, he got an immediate raise, and then his boss just calls him randomly on Friday and says, you're doing such a great job, I'll give you another. That's great. That's the blessings of God. I love that, Kevin. But, but listen, we don't put our trust in those things. We put our trust in the Lord. Okay? So, so um, you know, in the New Testament, we live in a different reality for the most part. If we disregard holiness, it's very unlikely that we would be put to death. Although, let me say, in Acts chapter 5, there is a story about a little couple named Ananias and Sapphira, part of the church, brothers and sisters in the Lord, and uh, they decided one day to lie about an offering that they were given. Now, they didn't have to. They could have just said, hey, we're going to give this much money. We're keeping some of it for ourselves. That would have been fine. But they came and they said, we're giving, we sold some land and we're giving all the money to the Lord. And, and immediately Ananias falls dead. And then his wife comes in. She falls dead. And we, we read a story like that in the New Testament. We go, whoa, what's going on? <laughs> right? That's a little bit, mm. but, but, but So I wouldn't rule it out entirely that there is not a cost sometimes that is paid for disregarding God's holiness. By the way, I believe we're going to see Ananias and Sapphira in heaven. I don't know how you view it, but here's how I see it. I don't believe one sin makes you not a Christian. And if they gave their lives and they meant it with all their heart, they gave their lives to the Lord, they became believers, then, then what happened to them was serving as, a, as an instrumental thing that God is saying, listen, don't forget that I'm holy here. Don't forget that I'm holy. Okay? But, and so it becomes a teaching lesson to the church. It says the fear of the Lord came on the whole church after that. Well, that's good. We need the fear of the Lord in a good way. Right? We need to understand he's a holy God. And so, but I, I don't believe that their one lie would be enough, do you understand, to keep them out of heaven. If that's the case, we're all in trouble. At any moment, we could be in big trouble if the Lord came back and we're, right? Or, you understand what I'm saying? So, so my personal belief is we'll see them in heaven and say, man, that was a bummer, huh? <laughs> yeah. You got made an example of big time. I mean, that's so bad, but, you know, uh, we'll see. <laughs> But there's, listen, there's a problem with sin, isn't there? There's a problem with forgetting that he is a holy God. Let me, let me try to illustrate with these blocks here. I need a, a volunteer. Aaron, you're a good volunteer. Come on up here. <laughs> you get to be God in this story. You'll be over on the other side of my wall of blocks here. Andrew, you come here, and you can be Jesus, the Son of God. All right. So what happens is, is when... For, for me, I am separated from God by my sin, right? This is, we're going to represent sin here. Like, like okay, let's, let's do this interactively. What are some sins? Now, I'm not saying if you say it out loud, that's your sin. But just, just feedback. What are some sins? What are some sins? 
What is it? Materialism, good. Adultery. Gossip. Greed. Ah, oh, good. Come on. Couple. Pride. What? Worry. Jealousy. Okay, good. These are all great. So but there's all this sin in my life, and it and as an unbeliever. I'm a, pretend I'm an unbeliever right now. I can't, you know, I wish my wall was bigger. Uh, get on your knees. I'll get on mine. Okay. I can't see God. <laughs> there's, there's this division between us. Okay. Well, then Jesus comes along. Don't be too violent here, Jesus. And when I say, Lord, become my Savior, become the Lord of my life, Jesus comes and he tears down. Go ahead, tear down the wall. No, like really tear it down. Like go after it. <laughs> go ahead. Take the whole wall down. Thank you. Woo! Jesus, triumphantly. What was the first song we sang today? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the first line? Oh, dang. What is it, Kelly? Find the first song. What was? T- uh, yeah. There were walls between us. By the cross, you came and broke them down. Right? Okay. Now I have relationship with God. Hallelujah! And His Son Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit's inside of me. This is wonderful. Thank you, guys. And I'll now stay there a second. So, so I'm just living out my life as a believer. My sins have been completely forgiven. And from now on, what, nothing can separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Nothing. So I'm not talking about His love or my salvation, but all of a sudden, I see that lust I used to adhere to, and I go, huh. I, kinda like, I start picking it back up again. You hear what I'm saying? And then I, I have an opportunity to, to be proud about something or or fearful, and I start picking up the things that, that have been torn down. You see where I'm going with this? And I keep building back on top of the parts, to, and I keep going after it, and pretty soon I've built up. Now, again, God still loves me. I'm still his son, but if I go far enough with this, all of a sudden there becomes this wall of partition between us, not from God's perspective, but from my perspective. Is this making sense? You catch what I'm saying here? Like, like, and, and, you know, like there's the seven deadly sins. This is kind of a Catholic thing, but they have lust, gluttony, greed, laziness. Is that really there? Come on. Uh, but that's Bible. Wrath or anger, envy, pride. These things can all just start building one on top of the other, one after the other. And before I know it, not that God wants to be separate from me, but he's like the father on the porch looking down the street saying, where have you gone, my son? And I'm over here in the pig slop, Right? You know, and it's not that he separated himself from me, but I separated myself from him because I didn't regard God as holy. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. I didn't regard God as holy. What are we going to do about that? We have to do what the Israelites did. We have to do what, what Samuel told them to do, and that is to turn back to the Lord with all our heart. All our heart and just say, no, 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 I'm not going to let anything separate me from God. He's not, he's not separating himself from me, but I separate myself from him. Something is missing from our American brand of Christianity. We, we've forgotten this idea of living a holy life. We just kind of, you know, I'm not here to beat anyone over the head with a Bible or, or to preach law. The, the law is ineffective at best, but damning at worst, if I can say it that way. It, it is, the law is not, if it's misunderstood that it's only a teacher for us, right? An instructor. If we misunderstand it and we think we can get anything or do anything by, a, a, by legalism or by works or by law, if we think that we can get better standing with God by doing things, we've misunderstood the gospel. 
And it's of no value to us at that point. So my, but, but, so only the grace of God, only the grace of God will give us the strength we need to live free from sin. It's the grace of God. It has to be the grace. The church will be built on the grace of God. Our lives will be built on the grace of God. So my goal in this is to give us a passion for the God who saved us from our sins, who tore down the wall between us, and, and, that he will, and we will get this passion that is so deep. We'll desire to serve God and let our lifestyles begin to match the lifestyle that He wants us to live. In 2 Corinthians uh, 5, 9, and 10, it puts it this way. I love this. It says, so we make it our goal to please Him. You see, to, this is written to believers now. We make it our goal to please God whether we are at home in the body or whether we're away from it. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? That means for all eternity, we're going to still be pleasing God. Think about that. That's a great thought. But he continues, and this is what he says. And this is for believers now. This is not the great white throne judgment where some will be cast into the lake, where all, excuse me, all those at the great white throne judgment will be cast into the lake of fire forever. But this is, this is the, the judgment seat of Christ. For all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So, so there is a judgment that each of us will face, will come before Christ. And he's going to give us, and by the way, there's good judgments and there's bad judgments. Here you did this good thing, so there'll be reward for that. You did bad things. Eh, you thought that was reward, but that thing's just going to burn up. It's not going to be of any value. Are you going to still be in heaven? Yes. But for some, it'll be so bad, the way it says it in Corinthians is, is that it's as, as if you were escape, one escaping through the flames. Like, whoa, that was close. <laughs> you know? I don't even want to... Do you? No, we don't want to be around that, right? We don't want to even go near that. We don't want to know what it's like to be one that just escaped through the flames. So that's what we're here to do, that each of us may receive what is due for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. So we make it our goal to please Him. The love of God and the grace of God are these incredibly important uh, items and subjects, if you will. Preaching the fear of God and the need to live holy does not negate the love of God and the grace of God. Both have to be spoken of. Both have to be preached. Both need to be understood. See, holy means this. It means set apart for God. It means pure. It means clean. It means sinless. It means upright. We have this contrast between what God calls us and what our experience is, don't we? You understand what I'm saying right now? You know? God says we are a holy people, a royal priesthood. He, he, he looks at us. He says, I see you as holy. But that doesn't mean just because he sees us as holy that our actions are always holy. So, so there's this contrast, this, if you will, or this paradox between these two things. We don't always behave in a holy way. We need to get to a place where when we read God's Word and then respond in our hearts saying that if this is what God says, then this is what I must do. That makes sense? If this is what it says, then that's what I should be doing. And not, not try to manipulate it, not try to, you know, but just say, no, I'm going to just do what the Word says. When we don't fear God, then we won't fear sin either. Holiness starts with the fear of God. It really does. Henry Blackaby says this, he says, When the life of God has gone from the people of God, and we're content to live without the manifest presence of God, content week after week without any evidence of the presence and power of God, then we need to be revived. 
We need to be revived. And I, you know, and, and I don't know about you, but I felt the presence of God in our service this morning as we worship. And I feel His presence right now as we're preaching the Word. I feel, I feel the Lord is with us and among us right now. But, but I do feel like there's more that God wants us to experience. So much more. And we're just, as they say, scratching the surface of the amazing uh, experience that God wants us to have in His presence. But here's that paradox. We're already holy and at the same time working at being holy. Already holy, but working at being holy. It's, por- it's important to understand that. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 1, 14-16. He says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Notice Peter says, Be holy in all you do. It has to do with what you do. We're not saved by works, but we we are holy by doing good works. Okay, and I know this seems like is contradictory, and you just have to go with me on this. These things exist simultaneously. We have to wrap our minds around that. So people who are still who are holy still need to work at being holy. Is what we're saying. Be holy because He is holy. Worship team, come on back up. So. A sin collar or a wristband that shocks you is not going to work. <laughs> it's not the answer. In fact, I imagine you would say like I do that, that uh, when we try to or attempt to change our behavior by using external means, the effect is only temporary. Is that true? Not too many years after the story we just read in the Scripture about these people of Beth Shemesh, David becomes king and he decides to take the ark and move it from Beth Shemesh and move it into Jerusalem where it was going to end up being, where they were eventually going to build the temple. And so, so uh, they get this idea, they, they're, they're rejoicing, they're, they're doing music. It's a wonderful church service. I mean, if you'd have been there, you thought, this is, this is great. I could, oh man, it's just so nice. And they're singing and they're rejoicing. And then, then they pick up the ark, right, during David's time, and they put it on a cart. You already see the problem? Do you see it yet? See, you see, the, the Old Testament said it only ever is to be carried on the shoulders of the priest on a pole, right? And when the Philistines, the wicked Philistines had it, they said, hey, let's send it back to him. Let's put it on a cart. And so they send it on a cart. Now, years later, in David's time, they haven't remembered that God is a holy God, that He has to be respected, that the Word has to be taken liter- you know, seriously, right? They don't remember. And so, what do they do? God's, God's forehead has to be flat, right? They put the ark on a stinking cart. Ah! But, but and you say, those stupid Israelites... Aren't we just as stupid sometimes? I don't mean to call anybody stupid, but aren't we? Don't we just think sometimes the world's way of doing things is, is a good way to do things? Don't we feel like, oh, yeah, you know, that'll work. And we just pick up the ways of the world sometimes. We start doing it the world's way. That's what the Philistines did. So we copy the stinking Philistines? Are you kidding me? Read the book. You don't put it on a cart. You carry it on your shoulders, dudes. And you think, oh, David, you should have known, man. 
And so they're walking along, and they have two oxen this time, and, they're, they're, and the oxen stumble, and the cart begins to tip, and the ark begins to move on the, and a guy, just an innocent guy, meaning well, just like you and I would have done, we see the ark getting ready to tip over, we think, I don't want that to happen, puts out his hand and touches the ark, and when he does, God strikes him dead. And we're thinking, what? That seems like over the top, God. Kind of like Ananias and Sapphira again, right? The other way, different story, Old Testament. What is going on? David shuts it all down. The music shuts down. They, they have to go bury Uzzah. You know, uh, they, they call the place where he died Perez Uzzah. Like God, like it, Perez means to divide something. Like a division happened there over Uzzah where oh, he was destroyed because he touched the ark. And, and David is distraught. He's thinking, what's going on, God? And finally, he goes back to the book. <laughs> he goes back to the book. How is, the, how is the cart supposed to be transported? Oh, the priests are supposed to carry it. So some months later, they realize, oh, we got we to do this right. They get the priest, and they start sacrificing, and they praising. That's the time when he's dancing in his underwear, and, and, you know, good times. Good presence of God is real this time, right? Okay, you know, I promise I'll never dance in my underwear. Well, maybe in my house. But anyway, but seriously. No, we won't. We, no. <laughs> but seriously. The presence of God was so powerful in that moment when they did it God's way. So it would do us well to think through our lives and make sure that we haven't just picked up some of the world's ways of doing things. You know what I'm saying? Even though it may seem to make sense, you think, well, that makes sense to do things that way. You know, you might think, well, it makes sense to, to you know, just work with all my money and not give to God. But, but God says, put Him first. You see? So we don't obey the world's way of doing things. We obey God's way of doing things. And so we come all full circle now to the question that the people of Beth Shemesh asked. They said, who can stand in his presence? Who can stand in his presence? And the answer today, and you ought to be glad if you know Jesus, is that we can stand in his presence. We can stand in his presence. And it's not by our own holiness. It's because he's holy in us. And we are not, we are not separated from him you know, we can sin and separate ourselves that way, but we are not separated from His love. We are not separated from His salvation. And we can't stand in His presence on our own, but because Christ is in us through the Spirit, we can. Our only hope for real change is that it will only come from within, not from externals, but from inside, because the Holy Spirit's inside us. He will transform us from the inside out. From the inside out. The reality is the, the, the shock collar we need is not going to shock us, but it's going to be a voice in our hearts from the Holy Spirit, right? We already have it. We don't need a, a shock collar or a wrist bracelet that's going to shock us. The Holy Spirit will speak to us, and we know He does it. When we get ready to do that thing, He says, don't go there. Don't do that. Don't watch that. Don't think that way. Don't be angry. Don't be filled with unforgiveness. And we, you know... The Holy Spirit's inside encouraging us. We've got to listen. We've got to obey. And our, here's what happens. Over time, we will be transformed more into the image of Christ as we obey the Holy Spirit. And then in turn, what's going to happen is our community, when, that, when we're transformed, we're going to begin to transform our community. We really are. We're going to begin to transform our community. Our behavior will become more and more righteous when we remember that God is a holy God. Amen. Thank you for listening to Praise Center Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.